Welcome to Read This Fucking Book, episode 11, uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. And we have a special guest for this recording. Hi, Lauren. Hey, guys. Tonight, we are reading the first book in Sarah J. Moss's uh, court books. It's called A Court of Thorns and Roses, or if you're on the internet like me, a KOTOR. (laughs) Um, This is a new adult book that was published in 2015 that has a lot of buzz amongst readers. Uh, It's gotten a Goodreads Choice uh, nomination, I think. I don't think I got an award and a couple other nominees for reader-based awards. Um, It's been in the top 10 of the New York Times Young Adult Bestseller list. Uh, for a while or was for a while uh, and there it's actually a finished trilogy so if you like this book you can read the other two uh, fun fact um, Moss says that Garth Nix is a big inspo for her so shout out to the first episode of the RTFB podcast because we've already read Garth Nix um, so Elena tell us what is this book about okay so this book is um, pretty obviously <clears throat> a um I don't know if I want to call it like a, a quite a fairy tale retelling, but it's definitely a fairy tale derivation um, from Beauty and the Beast. But it also incorporates um, elements of East of the Sun, West of the Moon, and Tamlin, which, as we discussed with the Winter Rose, is in fact itself uh, probably a derivation of the original French Beauty and the Beast. Um, I will say, for my knowledge of Beauty and the Beast iterations, this one probably harkens back to the very original Beauty and the Beast, which I have yet to read, but it's like 100 pages in my like 7 by 10 scholarly, you know, fairy tales edition, and it apparently has a lot of fairy court politics in it. So I don't know, maybe somebody else actually has read that version and can chime in later. But uh, as to what this book is about, um, the main character is a human girl named Feyre who is um, basically her family used to be wealthy and they are now impoverished. And because her family is a bunch of, um, I don't know, like incompetence, kind of the caretaking fell to her. So she's like the huntress in the family. And one day in winter when they're all starving and she's ventured very far into the woods, um, close to the wall with fairy, uh, she takes down a wolf um and a few days later a fairy lord busts into their house and says who killed my friend by the way you're coming with me basically to my estate uh because the treaty between our peoples demands a life for a life and so she gets there and it's not horrible and (laughs) she slowly starts like making friends and becoming more aware of how like not okay the situation in fairy is it's first of all it's not what she expected and second of all there's like deep troubles like in that land that um she doesn't really understand and nobody's really willing to talk to her about and um things escalate quickly uh, so i mean not that we try to avoid spoilers should i go on with the rest of it or shall we just talk you, about that it, as it comes we can talk about it as it comes i think that's a good summary okay. for an intro so uh i'm the one that recommended this book obviously because i'm re- i just really love these books um and lauren has read this as well so you're the new reader um mm-hmm. please tell me you liked it just put us out of our misery <laughs> i loved it it was so good like okay my my main point of anxiety is that you pitched this book to me as like well i mean it, it's all about the the later books like the the tone kind of changes after the first book so if you don't like the first one maybe still give the second one a try and i'm like i i loved the first one what what happens what's wrong with the next books is it is it gonna go bad rachel <laughs> <laughs> no 
not. It's not going to go bad. It's going to be so fun. You're going to be okay. Um, but I, I mean, like, I can talk about the other books for a long time, but we are talking about this book. Well, I will, I will tell you this. Like, based on this book, I'm all in for, like, reading the other books. So we'll have time to talk about the other books. Yes, like, let, yes. you know, we can, right. we can talk about this book tonight. No, I definitely, I loved it. It was right up my alley. So despite, like, some of my struggles with, like, young adult um, literature, this did not have any of those. And like, I did promise good. you that Feyre was not, like, a dickhead. Yes, you, you promised yes. me that she was not like Evie, and boy, did you deliver. <laughs> yes. Great. I'm so happy. <laughs> Lauren, why do you like this book? Just tell us why you're on this podcast. Um, so this is the first book that I've read in a really long time. You know, I should start by saying I'm a librarian. Um, books are my life. Uh, I, I literally buy books for a living. I'm an acquisitions librarian. Um, Elena can tell you I read constantly. Like it's, it's very rare that I probably, I probably go through a novel a day. Um, Kindle Unlimited has like changed my life. Um, and of course that also means that there's a lot of bad, horrible books out there. Um, and so this is the first like new book that I've read in a really long time that just grabbed me and wouldn't let me go. Um, I read this first book before the other two were out. Um, I think, uh, it wasn't, I didn't have to wait a, a horribly long time for the second book to show up and put me out of my misery. But, um, <laughs> you know, I read this first book and it's the first time in just a really long time where I was just like, oh my God, I have to know what comes next. And the whole book, the whole way through, I couldn't put it down. Um, it's so smart. This is such a smart book. Um, if you know your fairy tale folklore, um, if you know your mythology, if you know your magic, uh, this Sarah J. Moss, just she, she knows her stuff. She knows her stuff, and she wrote a book that's just brilliant. And I love how she handled the subject matter. I love her villains. I love her monsters. I love her characters. Um, and she just, it, it's just super exciting. Can you tell how excited I am about these books? <laughs> I love her monsters, too. I think it is a, a thing that Sarah Moss does with great skill. Um, I, not only do I, am I afraid of her monsters, but I kind of want to like be one of her monsters. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, and this is the thing, like you get, I'm a fairy person. Um, I have a huge background in fairy tale stuff. Um, it's sort of my life. It's what I do. And so many people, you get into the fairy stuff and you, you get these people who think fairies are this cute, sweet little, you know, whatever. And they're not, you know, traditional fairy folklore is terrifying and I think she just really captures that, you know, these, these are things that like, you know, like when you and I were first talking about rereading this book and we, like, I brought up one of the, the monsters and was like, oh my God, how did I forget about this? And you're like, because mm-hmm. that was before there were other things to be more scared of. And like, yeah. I love that about these books. <laughs> yeah, I, I, will, I will chime in and say that just from the, um, like this, is just from the perspective of a reader, like a, a lot of a lot of the books that I've read, at least, which is not a lot, but a fair number of the books I've read that deal with like the fairy realm or the fairy court talk about how like awful and terrible these people are. But other than like a handful of high fae who, you know, definitely have like the ends justify the means kind of like cold morality, there's really not much actual nightmarishness that is seen or experienced by the, you know, hero or heroine 
of the book. And so that was really like exciting to me that like she goes into this realm like afraid of it, but without any solid like um, folklore because her, you know, her mother was too busy to tell her stories and her sisters were too like refined and worried about their social status to tell their little sister the fairy tales either. And so she essentially has like no knowledge of what of what specifically to be afraid of, just that humans have feared the Fae for centuries for a reason. And so when she finally starts encountering monsters, um, she doesn't have a gauge for them. She just knows like they're terrifying, but it's like each one is worse than the one before, and they're all they are all frightening. And I don't know, I just I, I like that a lot. Well, and for me, like this story, I mean, Beauty and the Beast is an obvious one. So is Tamlin, obviously. But one of the things uh, that mm-hmm. this really reminded me too is East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which everyone always forgets about. But one of the things I love so much about that particular fairy tale is the fact that when the bear comes to get the heroine, who I don't think they ever actually name in any of the original versions, um, and says, you know, I, I want to take her back to my mountain, right? Like, the father actually says to the, the heroine of the story, like he gives her the choice, like they sit down and they talk it out. Um, and she makes the the very like proactive decision that she's going to go and do this. Um, and there's a little less of that in this story. Obviously, Farah has to go like, he, you know, the, the fairy lord that shows up, like he makes her go. But I still like the fact that she she mm-hmm. has an a, a, a autonomy about her decision making in all of this and being very aware of the situation she's in and what she's doing. Like I find her to be very empowered throughout all of this. And I like the fact that there are no punches pulled, I guess, in, in this, this really horrible situation that they're in. Like this is not a pretty situation. Sarah J Moss does not try to make this a pretty situation. They're poor, they're starving. People are terrible. It's cold. You know, they're in this hovel out in the woods and, you know, something has to change. And so I like that about Frera and I like that about the story um, and that, you know, she like is is very actively making these choices like as we go along with the story. Yeah, I I really like the the way that we get to know her as a character Um in the little because like you know she's a caretaker and she's sort of preoccupied with that and she gets up every day and she goes hunting and then like her little escapes or at least what she admits to herself are her little escapes are like you know enjoying kind of being outside and away from her family she just loathes which is amazing (laughs) um and also you know like her trysts with the kind of neighbor boy the neighbor farm boy and and also the painting that she does which I love this twist, right? You know, we're used to like Belle being kind of a bookworm, but in this, she's not. She can't actually read, and she, but she paints, and she's always cataloging color and light and subject matter and thinking about how she's going to paint it and looking at the world is how she's going to catalog that. And I, I love that, and I love that it's so hard for her to admit to herself that she's creative and good at painting. It's just like a dumb thing that she kind of is like, well, I'll, maybe someday I'll get to do more of that. Well, and, you know, going along with that, like, I think Moss plays a lot with our expectations for how these stories Mm -hmm. are going to go. You know, we walk into this novel making a lot of assumptions. I mean, if you've read the back of the book and you even if you just know, you know, sort of the the hero's name, right? Like you kind of have an idea of what's supposed to happen. Um, And she twists it and she plays with it. And so Farrah not being able to read 
And having this sort of different sensory input for how she views the world, I think is one of the, again, one of the really brilliant parts of this book because it just changes things just a little bit and turns it just a little bit on its side and then things don't go the way you expect them to go. And like, I was so pulled into this book because I, you know, I was expecting something to happen and then something else would happen, you know, totally unexpected. And I just like, didn't see things coming. And I love that. Yeah. It's like, she's not a dreamer. Like, you know, she's, she's a, she's a pragmatist. She's a realist and she, she paints what she sees and what she feels. She doesn't paint what she wishes happened. Right. Yeah. And that's, again, a really great twist on this very traditional fairy tale heroine which I love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that through all of that because I just love all of this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm super excited. So can we talk okay, about well, the sisters for a second or do you want to say something else, Elena? Uh, well, uh, I was, I was going to say, um, I would like to, uh, I don't know, like, I, I was just going to say like for me, I don't, and maybe it's just because I have heard you guys talk about like how it's sort of a, you know, beauty and the beast story or it's like it that has twists to it. Like, I will say, like, I don't, I guess I went in with, like, no idea what to expect, really. So, like, it to me, it actually conformed a lot to what I, like, I was expecting it to be more different, mm-hmm. um, maybe because of that. Um, like, I was, I don't know, like, is there going to be a big switcheroo where Tamlin's not the hero or, you know, something like that. Right. And um, so, even though it definitely, like, is, it's not just, like, a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Like, it definitely has a lot more going on. Yeah, it's like a, a starting point. More, depth to it like that that's definitely like the starting point um but it i didn't feel like it violated too many of of those expectations i I guess if you knew that it's not a retelling but like a play on um like a new fairy tale based like that with that in its dna right i guess well and again i think she she just did a really good job she knows her fairy tales so Mm -hmm. what she did with it um, she did create something new while adhering to, you know, th- these really traditional sort of forms of fairy tale. You know, even the the opening of the book, the book which mm-hmm. you've already said, you know, it's, you know, the merchant father who's lost his fortune and now they're forced, you know, to live in the forest. I mean, how many fairy tales start like that? Like, right. you know, I, I would say a good majority of fairy tales start with some similar derivation of that right there. You know, so I guess for me, when I, you know, I'm saying, you know, I had certain expectations, you know, that's sort of what I mean, because, you know, we're going into this with this very traditional, like, fairy tale entryway to the story. So the fact that she then takes these stories and just, and again, she just twists it just a little bit, like not a lot, not, you know, like, it's not a complete, you know, difference, whatever. It's just enough to like make it new and interesting, and I thought that yeah, was like five degrees, not yeah, thirty, right? And, and it, I... but it, but it's still just enough to be different, right? And that's what I thought made it so fabulous, you know, because she didn't have to go thirty degrees. That that little five degree twist was just enough to like be like, oh, this is this is new, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's really cool. I also think that what Moss excels at is is um, like character kind of development and like telling us a story via like not obvious exposition like because mm-hmm. you know she makes the characters talk to each other a lot and like a, a, there are so many great scenes that take around you know take place around like you know tables for meals or 
stuff like that that it it's it just feels like a really organic way for for Feyre to like be moving through this very secretive world and yet to still kind of figure out what the hell is going on because you know from the very beginning that what they're telling her is just bullshit <laughs> well and the fact that it's what like the first i don't know half of this book would you say like she really doesn't talk no, to, she I listens. Mean, yeah. yeah, she listens. And they're just, uh, you know, I think we had talked about this briefly before we did this, just the sort of lack of numbers of character in this mm-hmm. book. Like, you know, it's not a huge cast of characters that we meet. And so, you know, she doesn't, she's she's so much in her own head in that first part of the book. You know, it makes it really, because you can see how she makes assumptions and how she's seeing this new world. And I, I think that's really interesting then with how she interacts with people later on. Yeah, she's definitely like, she feels real in the way that she's protecting herself in her emotional range and in, in, in how she reacts to, to these people. I mean, like, you know, she comes from nothing. She was poor before she was really ever old enough to really know. Like, she, she has enough to know that she has, like, a higher diction uh, than, you know, the other villagers. But that's kind of it. She still can't read. She doesn't know how to, you know, com- com- like, conduct herself at a dinner table. And yet... Like, she's also seen some shit, right? She saw her father be beaten. She, you know, she's been taking care of her older sisters. And so she knows, right? Like, she sees things. She's observant. She's the one that tells her sister before she leaves, don't marry that guy. His father beats his wife, you know? Like, mm-hmm. she's just, she's just a, she's a, she's a seer. She's, she's a reader like us. And yet without being a reader because she's so observant, you know what I mean? It's like reading the story through your own eyes because yeah. she, she reacts so naturally and so real and she's so like street smart and sh- street street smart and pragmatic i mean she definitely she has a couple moments where i'm like yeah i guess she's a lot more either brave or stupid than i am because you know i don't know four different people tell me to stay in your room on high <laughs> holiday i'm sorry i'm taking i'm you know taking what? that advice she was like horny. can we just put that out there that girl was horny and she was like fuck that you guys can't tell me no favor no favor yes like she cannot you did not tell that girl no it's the quickest way to get her to do the exact fucking opposite <laughs> So before we go to Perthian, though, I do want to talk about her sisters. So mm-hmm. when I first read this book, I fucking hated her sisters so much. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, the whole family. They're, they're awful. Just, they're so useless. They they just, you know, presume. Like, you know, here she is. She's the youngest. Again, this is a fairy tale trope, right? Yeah. She's the youngest mm-hmm. sister. Like, her older sisters are supposed to be caring for her. But no, it's it's the, the complete obvious, you know, opposite of what's supposed to be happening. And like they like, uh, you know, Nesta is so terrible, and Elaine is just so vapid. Vapid, you know? Vapid. Yeah, she just she's she's so useless, and you just like want to hit her. Like you know, the, the whole part where she takes the wolf pelt and you know talks to the mercenary, and she gets the money. And then she gives her sisters the money and like how they react to that situation. Like it made me so angry. Like even on the reread, I was just like, no, like you can't do this. I have this this theory and because I've, so now I've praised Farah as like the stand in for us as like a really great kind of like lens for us to look at the story through. I want to kind of like throw it back to like game of Thrones, right? Things that I've learned through reading that is like, you can't trust, you can't trust her, right? Like, I don't think that she is a reliable POV. I think Mm -hmm. that she's full of shit actually. 
Well, and I think we see that, like, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, like, when she ends up coming back to the right. human, human realm later, and we meet her sisters again under very different circumstances, I think we start to get an inkling of that, you know, and just what's happened at that point in the book, and when you, when Elaine tells her what Nesta has done, you know, we, we have to kind of sit back and go, oh, this isn't quite what we thought it was right and she Um, makes that mistake throughout though i think she decides what people are and then like in her mind that's what they are even though that maybe not be what's actually happening in front of her or or you know what i mean like i feel like she lies to herself a lot in a way that's protective because she didn't want to feel for her sisters or her father because it 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 was too much She, she it was enough for her to have to to feed them right right but she didn't want to have to take on the burden of their helplessness and how Nesta and Elaine, I mean, like, you know, Feyre was the youngest. She had been free of that burden. She was there to take care of her father and her family. She wasn't, she didn't have like Nesta being like, okay, well maybe I can use my body and marry myself off to a better family and help the rest of my family. Or maybe the only way to save myself is to find a mate in this shitty place and having to constantly compare her options to what she should have had I think made her bitter and I think Elaine is not able to deal really and she's very dependent on other people and so when her life is easy and things are provided for her she's very pleasant to be around whereas when she is not she sucks (laughs) well you know I think that's one of Frere's like sort of greater character arc like throughout the the three books too though like she has to sort of come to this realization that her assumptions or her presumptions i suppose about people are are not necessarily true mm-hmm. and i mean i don't know that she she always like totally leaves that aside like she's still you know at the end of the third book she's still the the character we we met but at the same time like she has to like work her way through that and sort of like deal with this worldview that she's had, you know, by being in this situation. Um, I think you know, it also and, makes her 19, right? Like she yes, feels 19. Right. right. Um, and an uncivilized, um, not like widely socialized 19. Yes, that. yes. Completely non-socialized, yeah. actually. And I think that that's a really good point, Elena, because like even when she's dealing with Tamlin and Lucian, it's like, oh my God, like you're an animal (laughs) (laughs) well and again like you know you you think about that and then you have to go back to her sisters and go they were a lot more worldly like I I can't remember how much older Nesta and Elaine are to her but they're old enough to know what they're missing what they've left behind you know the education that they no longer have access to the wealth like all of it like you know, their father was the merchant, you know, who was going out into the world and they had access to that knowledge that Frera didn't really, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that puts her in a much different, you know, uh, place than her sisters, too, which, again, like you don't like as reader, you don't necessarily get until much later in the book. Right. To- yeah, totally. So well, well, just as a as a throwback to like the sister dynamic in Winter Rose, like obviously like Rose's sister Laurel goes through her own state of sort of helplessness and you know when she's like fallen under the fairy spell or whatever it is, you know, that she's going through, um, her fit of melancholy. 
But, like, up until that point, Laurel actually was, like, practical and motherly and, like, obviously ran that household and ran it well and had, you know, completely, like, stepped into the, like, gap left by the mother to, you know, be the lady of the house and the, you know, that sort of um, traditional feminine role uh, so that Rose was excused from all of that. And so, like, I mean, even in, like... Like, that's kind of what makes the situation with their sisters so hateful, is that even if they are willing to say we're too weak to go hunting and we don't have the nerve or the guts for it, like, why the fuck aren't they doing anything else? But, like, she has to nag at them to chop wood. I think you know, that they and are to... doing things, though. They're just not doing things that Feyre notices or, or mm. finds Or Or useful. thinks and poor arm. Yeah, and that that's the thing. Like, the things they're doing, just they don't uh, uh, show up to Frera as being helpful at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, at um, least Nesta, I think, is doing something. I, I still in kind, kind of camp that Elaine is useless, but <laughs> Nesta kind of redeems herself by the end of the story for me. Yeah, Nesta, like, I, I didn't, I didn't hate Nesta the second time um, we meet her. Yeah. I was like, wow, Nesta's kind of a, she's kind of a bad bitch. Yeah. I like well, to and that's her. the thing. Like, the second time you're like, whoa this is not quite what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Nesta is not quite this, like, really terrible, horrible, you know, sister that we've, like, been introduced to. <laughs> well, I mean, let, 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 let's not, let's not, you know, let's be honest here. Nesta was still pretty shitty that she's like, I'm going to play chicken with dad. I'm intentionally yeah. going to make myself useless and see if it, and, and frivolous and see if it makes dad get off his fucking ass. Like she was knowingly playing chicken with their father on that shit. And that was shitty. Yeah. You know, you know? I sort of loved that because I, you know, I'm putting myself in this situation and I'm trying to think of how I would handle it. And you know, I would probably do the same thing. I'm a horrible person. We all know this, <laughs> you know? So like for me, that like really resonated as a, like a, a real response to what's been going on because I think I would be pretty angry and upset at this, this, you know, whole scenario as well. And like, I would probably be really passive aggressive in a lot of ways too. So like, it's horrible, but it's horrible in a way that I really connected with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was understandable. I, I, I think I related too much to Feyre. Like, well, God damn it. If nobody else is taking care of this shit, I have to fuck all of you for making me do this and not helping. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the hatred, man. I just feel the hatred that they all have. It feels so, and I guess, for me it's like a it's a uniquely kind of almost feminine like reaction where it's just like fuck you i'm gonna do it anyway and then you just do it right like Mm -hmm. i don't know well and you know it's can we just sort of real quick talk about the sort of the mother situation too you know if we're going to talk about the feminine circle because you know here you have the mother who like can't be bothered to teach farah how to read right she's too Mm -hmm. caught up in her social engagements before she dies to like do some of the really basic things she should do for Frera, but it's Frera that she makes prom- promise that she'll take care of the rest of the family. Like, mm-hmm. I really wondered about that through the book. I mean, you know, again, like Frera's got this promise and she's, you know, doing this because she's made this promise and the whole thing and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, like, what was the mother's relationship with the older girls? Like, right. You know, that's a really, again, that was one of those little sort of plot twists that I, like, didn't see coming that I thought was interesting, especially in the context of these other feminine relationships that we're looking at. Well, and especially once we learn, like, how kind of competent and sort of coldly pragmatic uh, Nesta can be. Yeah. Like, why 
why did the mother not see that in her or or did she think that Nesta was too practical to be manipulated by that shit? Like, right. maybe that was the thing. She's like, eh, no, that one's going to see through my bullshit. And <laughs> Elaine's useless. So I guess it's, guess Freyra, come in. Yeah. <laughs> come in, my child. It, it is kind of, it is great. I loved that because it wasn't like, oh, my dead mother and we all loved her and she was perfect. It's like, yeah, my fucking dead mother. That, that was, that's shit, right? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Well, probably the highlight of like her relationship with the mother in terms of what we see textually is the thought, it's probably best that my mother's dead because she would have been worse than useless in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like that's an indictment. I mean, holy shit, that's an indictment. Yeah, she definitely doesn't have a lot of, like, joy in her life at all. And then <laughs> mm. she gets whisked, whisked off to Prithian to, you know, have dinner with two assholes all the time. So, um, <laughs> first, well, Elena, tell me. No, no, really. First impressions of of the courts, the spring courts. Just lay it on me. Um... I don't, like, uh, I mean, would you live there? They didn't bother me. Like, no, no, I'm not asking uh, if they bothered you. I'm just like, tell me, tell me what you you're thinking. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly, I didn't really get why she was trying to run away so hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the best I can do. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, but I think one of the things, too, that's so interesting about this is, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about, you know, sort of the hatred in this family. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, there's so much love, right? Like, I hate you, but I love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm so happy to not be with you, but I'm trying to save you. Um, yeah. And, like, for me, that was what was really obvious about those, like, early days. Is like, And, and there's a lot of really selfish, um, you know, I kept... I'm trying to keep this promise to my mother and I have to do this and I have to get back there to like fulfill this and blah, blah, blah. Like there's a lot of that too. But at the same time, like she loves her family. Um, so even with all of the, the anger and the hatred and the self loathing and a lot of this, like she still loves them. Um, which I, just I think, think it's is... so weird that she thinks it's totally fine that this whole place is empty. There's two guys in the whole place. Like, come well, on. She didn't, she didn't know what to expect, I guess. <laughs> well, and again, like... And she, and, and she also doesn't know it's a court. Like, for all she knows, it's just, like, the, the house, like, the house of this eccentric fey noble. You That's... know, it takes her a little while to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, too, that was something that I didn't necessarily catch as much on the first read of the book. It wasn't until my reread that I was like, oh, she, do- she doesn't even know. You know, like, I, I, I guess I just didn't... I quite get what a big deal that was. I mean, I I knew it was weird, right? And, like, we're trying to figure out what's going on along with her. But at the same time, it was the reread where I was like, oh. So I had just watched. So I was reading this, and I had just watched, like, the Disney version, right? Because I rented it. I was on a work trip, and I rented it in my hotel room and watched it. And so I was trying to equate a lot of, like, the characters. (laughs) Like, who are these people, you know? I'm like, is Lucy and Lumiere? Like, who is he? (laughs) So... I'm like, okay, so I'm looking at like this empty house. I'm like, all right, it's the it's the empty kind of manor with all everything is like charmed or there's like little spirits everywhere. All the people have been turned into furniture or whatever, but it never even occurs to her. It's like, where's your food come from? Who's, you know, like, who are these people? Where do they live? How do you get your laundry done? <laughs> Who's doing all of the gardening work? Like she just thinks, because she's intimately involved with knowing that food comes from somewhere, that work is done right. to accomplish something. And I guess because it's the fairy world, she's just like, 
I don't know. Everything's just great here. It's just perfect all the time. But she's just wandering around half the time, half closed, just being like, la, 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 I'm the only one here. And I'm like, girl, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, it it shows how wrapped up in her, like, own emotion she is, but also just, like, sort of her lack of knowledge about what to expect from fairy, Mm -hmm. which... I really love that, too, because, you know, usually you you have characters who are like, oh, I know all about fairy and I know this and this and this. She just has these, you know, these sort of vague, you know, stories from, you know, before from when human and fairy were intertwined. And, you know, she doesn't really know. And she just makes assumptions, which is a really dangerous thing to do. Although she thinks that they can't lie. That's so amazing. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. I loved that. Um, and Iron, you know, the fact that, you know, oh, Iron will, you know, kill fairy, it doesn't, you know, then they're like, um, about that. Yeah, it's like, no, we can lie, actually. I don't know what you're fucking talking about. Yeah, we can and totally we lie. I'm lying really right well. now. I lie all the time. I lied yesterday. I'm lying tomorrow. It's like, oh. <laughs> well, and can we also just take a second to talk about the fact that, like, I, who are you rooting for in this book? I mean, obviously, you're rooting for Frera, mm-hmm. right? She's the main character. She's... She's the heroine of the story. But, like, in the whole sort of human fairy politics, like, who are we rooting for? Because I think, like, you don't really know. Like, the human world, we've, we've been introduced to the human world, and it's terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And then we go to fairy, and it's actually pretty nice, but then there are also these really horrible things, right? Um, so it's like, who who do you want, like, who, who are you supporting in these two, like, it's not like, oh, yes, humans all the way, rah, rah, or yay, fairies, blah, blah, you know, whatever. It, like, I, I also find that she, like, Moss really balanced that out really well. And I thought that, like, it just, it worked really well for what Freyra is going through. Because you don't know, like, there is no clear, yes, we want, you know, the side to win in this scenario. Um... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so, sorry, tangent. I, I was going to say, like, I, I kind of came down on, like, you want the centrists to win, <laughs> like the the rational people that are like well, willing yeah, to, I mean... like, not be assholes about everything. You know, so, I mean, like, the her introduction to Prithian and the, the world of fairy is through um, the court of spring, which is run by somebody who is very consciously and intentionally rejecting like the brutality and the humans are like slaves and animals kind of mentality of his father and his brothers and like most like maybe not most but at least some of the other like fairy courts in the land and so like that that side of fairy like the one that's like no actually the reason humans like were able to get a treaty at all is that some of the fairy were fighting on their side like that's who you're rooting for is is the side that's is the people that are willing to actually like be gentle with each other and find the common ground and say we don't have to like fight and be hateful we actually can work together you know versus the ones that are but at the same time we have to like forgive Frera for the act that brings her to Prithian right because she fucking murdered a dude okay I'm gonna say this and I mean like Freyra shoots a wolf I don't give a shit that she thought maybe this one's a fairy and that's what made her do it like, she was looking down the barrel of a giant fucking wolf in the middle of winter. She was going to die if that was a real wolf. Like, there's a level of practicality. Like, I understand the whole, like, what made her shoot it was the thought, oh god, what if it's a fairy? Now I really have to. 
and I'll be ridding the world of a menace. But she was going to shoot the fucking wolf because it was a wolf, and it's the middle of winter, and she was alone with it. Like, it had nothing the fuck to do with it being a fairy. The end. Like, in my opinion. <laughs> well, you know, well, I agree with you. And would I have done anything different? No. But I think that the thought process that Moss shows us in that moment is really fascinating when we consider then the transition to this court with this fairy lord who is more neutral or centrist and who is thinking more, you know, let's not just slaughter everyone and people are autonomous and deserve, you know, freedom of will and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's one of the things that Frera also has to really struggle with, you know, throughout sort of the, the I, I guess, middle section of the book. Um, you know, is is her own actions in that regard and then how she relates to Tam Lin. And I, I just, I thought that was really interesting. And it just like, like there was so much tension there because of it. And then how she gets treated by the fairies, you know, in this court who know that, you know, this, this wolf was a fairy and she's killed her friend. And of course we have no idea at this point, right, what's going on. And, you know, she has no idea what's going on. And there's so much more with the situation uh, which Tamlin is certainly not like innocent of, right? Oh, like, no. you know, he, you know, certainly he's he's kind of killed his friend as well, but we just don't know it. So I think it's just an interesting juxtaposition, you know, this this sort of killing, which again I would have done the same thing. You're right, totally practical. Like, well, winter middle of which she gets good money for him. Like, go girl. But at the same time, like then you have to like kind of balance it out with everything. And again, this I think this book does a really good job of, of making you balance those perspectives. So before you've kind of, we start figuring out everything that's happening with, with, you know, with the curse, like, you know, she's kind of aware that something's going on because the people in the house all have these masks on um, that they can't remove. And they tell her there's a blight. They spin her like a dumbass story that she, she's like, okay. Uh, and hey, you know what? She doesn't know shit. So yeah, of course she'd say okay. But she knows that there's some shit going down. And she also kind of realizes, even before she knows that um, that Tam is a is a high lord, that there's like that that there's probably a little bit too much. Uh, I guess looking at her, you know what I mean? Like like she's she is the subject of something that she doesn't. She doesn't know why, but they're interested. Mm -hmm. And, like, they, you know, they have her to, to breakfast right away. And they're like, you can live in the house. And, hey, whatever you want, you, you're just going to be here. And it's kind of a weird, like, reward for murdering your friend or his friend, right? Like, and I think, I think that she's just kind of so broken and so in need of having, I don't know, like a fucking nap. <laughs> but she just... <laughs> She just kind of like lets it happen, you know, it's kind of like, okay, but Lucian is like right at the beginning needling her just like, hi, tell me about yourself. Do you find us attractive? <laughs> you... <laughs> Let me be a complete asshole to you like while I'm, you know, doing yeah. this, even though I like somehow seem to need you on some level that I'm not going to explain to you. He's wingmanning so hard. I, it's so hard. Like, I never really realized. I was just kind of like, Lucian's kind of a dick. And then I'm on the reread. I'm like, oh, he's doing oh. the whole, like, I'm a huge asshole. Don't you want to talk to my friend Tamlin who's not an asshole? <laughs> yeah, how did you miss that? Because that was super fucking obvious that, like, everything he was doing was, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, trying to push them together. You're like, oh, look at the time. I have to go out in the hall. <laughs> 
I still yeah, oh, I have this I convenient meeting that I forgot about that now I have to go to the second I see you guys, like, mm-hmm. blushing at each other, like, I'm out! <laughs> I'm out, I gotta go over here, because you're disgusting. Um, but can, so, but he does kind of give her this whole, you should go talk to the Surreal, because he knows that he can't, like, they, they, you know, mm-hmm. part of their curse is that they can't tell her any of the details. He's like, yeah, go talk to the Surreal, that'll, like, help me out a lot. Yeah. So oh, he, the Surreal! So the he, Surreal! I just like that he doesn't know how to catch it, so he gives her, like, bad advice. (laughs) It's Alice later who's like, oh, you could have just done this thing, and you would have been fine, right? Yeah, yeah. she's like, just give him something to wear. Like, I love that. (laughs) Like, just be nice to the dude. I made a note. I was like, girlfriends are the best. (laughs) Yeah, girlfriends are the best. Thank God for Alice. She, but I think it's also so Lucian to just be like, I know how to do this. Yeah, that's how you do it. Go do that. And then maybe I'll help you if you get fuck up. And then like, oh, wait, no, I won't. <laughs> it's just like, do you want to be stuck in a mask forever? Why wouldn't you help her? He's like, well, I was kind of mad at you that you killed my friend. I'm like, dude. Well, see, I... I actually thought his his hesitation was more like fear based than uh than like resentment based in that moment like that he's just himself is so kind of broken by the kind of like physical pain that he's been through and like the the ways he's been hurt that like it was maybe like a moment of PTSD like I can't run into a fight fuck I have to save her fuck she might be the one to save us fuck I have to go and by then like Tamlin's already yeah. on the hunt so Well, and again, you know, it's kind of like with Nesta, like, would I react any differently in that situation? You know, I'm not a fairy. I don't have, you know, whatever. So, I, you know, I don't have warrior magical powers. So maybe he doesn't have an excuse. But, you know, I could see myself being like, ah, do, ah, yes. Okay, fine. (laughs) Right, right. So you guys want to talk about um, Kalanme? Sure. (laughs) Come on. Um. So one, I uh, defer to you, Lauren, to talk about this, but I really enjoy all of the kind of various religious festivals that Moss kind of inserted into the story. It really helps with the world building. It gives these guys a history. I thought it was really interesting that the humans had none of that, that they were, they had no gods, they had nothing. Well, and again, like, I think one of the things, you know, she, she walks into Prithian with all of these assumptions, but the very fact that she doesn't have you know, like, that they've forgotten all of this religious knowledge. Um, like, how would you know anything if you don't have, like, your basis for this stuff, right? Like, if you don't know anything about the gods or, you know, the holidays, like, how could you know anything about, like, larger magical structures? You know what I mean? Um, and I thought that was a really cool way of, like, um, having Frera, like, walk into this situation, you know? Because, like, how would you not have this knowledge or expectations or whatever but then it's like oh well we've like deliberately forgotten this knowledge um that like it explains so much um and i really again like the the sort of balancing act between no religion and religion and no magic and magic um i thought that was really cool for how moss just did this world building um that i haven't really seen uh elsewhere at least nothing that comes to mind um so, so yeah, I thought, you know, and even with, like, Kalan Mai, like, you know, they say Kalan Mai, but, like, as the reader, 
like, I didn't know what to expect, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I had a sort of, you know, a vague idea, like we're in the spring court, we've got Tam Lin, he's the hunter, yeah, you know, well, and Elena, um, you, you, I think you said in the very beginning that, uh, Tam Lin is a derivation of Beauty and the mm-hmm. Beast. Um, and it, it's not, it, it's very Celtic mythology. Um, and it goes back into the, the wild hunt folklore and that's totally what all of this is right so you've got the the hunt you know the physical like hunt which again Frere is the hunter herself right which is pretty cool um and then you have Tam Lin who's the hunter um but then of course we're getting into the idea the very pagan idea of the great right which is you know the the literal uh you know uh sexual marriage uh of the goddess and the god and it's the hunter the the leader of the wild hunt who initiates this through Beltane which is essentially what Kalan Mai seems to be here in this world um so you know again like you know they're they're telling her you know stay in your room stay in your room <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking is this going the way I think it's gonna go? <laughs> and then, like, of course, they don't actually like uh, um, consummate. No, right? that would like, be like she's... the regular, the expected way, where it's like, right, oh, she's out right. there and she gets like chosen, and yeah, right. And that's what you're expecting, and then it doesn't happen. And then, of course, they have that moment afterwards in the hallway, right? And the biting. He, he, okay, the Can biting. We talk about the biting? <laughs> So if you read her her Air of Fire books, the Throne of Glass books, like there's so much biting in those books. <laughs> Everyone's always biting each other for dominance, for sexual pleasure, for communicating, and they just like just everyone's just obsessed with putting their mouth on stuff. So like when she when this happened, I was just kind of like, oh, Moss got a Moss, like <laughs> you know, she's, whatever she's into, but she's she must be into this. So. Well, and just just sort of a quick aside too, like the sex in this book in general, um, it's something else I really liked about this book because it was very, you know, she's not this virginal, no. like perfect, you know, I'm saving myself for marriage and it's shameful to have sex. Like sex is a very natural part of this world and in her interactions with others. And like when she's so miserable back in the human world, she goes and she finds herself a lover who she knows it's it's never going to go anywhere. He's not going to marry her. You know, she doesn't want marriage and babies. Um, she's just like, I need some pleasure and I need someone to hold me. And I think you're attractive. So let's do that. And they do. And there's like no judgment there on her part or even really seemingly. I mean, Nesta, I guess, can be judgmental there, but Nesta's judgmental about everything. So then you have sex and fairy, and it's, again, like, you're, like, you're waiting for it. You want her to have sex with Tamlin. Like, there's definitely that, like, anticipation, especially with Callan Mai. But, like, it's not a weird thing. Like, you know, you, you're you cheering for it, and she's just like, you know, I, I don't think she's like, this is, you know, going to happen, but she's openly lusting for him. Oh, yeah. And I... And I found that to just be a really refreshing aspect to this novel, especially since it is young adult, which, you know, we, we can, whatever, <laughs> whatever, <you> know, whatever, <laughs> new adult, but like, I, mean. I just, I, yeah, new adult, Newly adult. New, new adult, whatever, you know, I just, I thought that was a really refreshing, uh, 
thing with this novel that you just don't see in other yeah, novels Yeah, I like, like that this. she doesn't question that he's interested in her. Like, there's a moment where right. she's like, oh, okay, he's into humans, I guess. I don't really, I mean, all right, cool. He, he, he must like me. But it's not like, what? I'm not pretty like a, like a fairy lady. I mean, she hasn't met any. <laughs> so that right. could be why she doesn't. <laughs> have any of those thoughts but I like that it's not about like am I beautiful like other fairy women am I like she's she knows she's attractive she even knows she's attractive from the very beginning because she she knows that she you know looks like her sisters and she looks like her mother and those are all attractive people um but she's also been starving right I mean she's like and I think this this comes up in the later books like she's skin and bones right Mm -hmm. like she she isn't like a healthy happy person Mm -hmm. you know so, like, she's not this traditional, you know, again, this, you know, like, she doesn't question it, but at the same di- time, you're like, okay, here you've got this, this starved, you know, human chick who's done something that's pissed everyone off, and she's just like, okay, I'm attractive, whatever. <laughs> well, know? it's more like, oh, okay, cool, like, I'm into this, if you're into this. It's just kind of like an acceptance of intention. I think in that way, she's a lot more naive than other people. Like she doesn't question whether or not she's being used for a right or if she's bait or like things that I would expect. Right. If I had been whisked across into a fairy realm in exchange for someone else's life, I'd be like, (laughs) they're going to fuck me up somehow. Like they're they're trying to get my trust, fatten me up or something. But like something's going to go down. Right. Well, and maybe again, like she wasn't exposed to the, to those sort of politics like her sisters were. So she just maybe she just doesn't have any like expectation that that could like she's worried she's going to be tortured. Right. Like she's worried that they're going to like physically like chop her up or whatever mm-hmm. in the beginning. But she really has no concept of the, the like sort of the games, you know, the political games that, you know, could be going on sexually in, in the situation, you know. Lucian could have done a lot more, you know, with that too. I mean, obviously he's he's trying to wingman for Tamlin and we find out later why, but at the same time, like he could have really fucked with that too, yeah. right? Like, you know, Elena, I know you hate love triangles. Talk about a possible love triangle, like it could have been that right there and it didn't happen, which made me happy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, let's go back to the right. So while she's at the right, um, she's kind of like, she's like, fuck it, I'm gonna do whatever I fucking want. So she goes out to this to this thing and she meets some other finally she meets some people who are not, you know, Lucian or or Tamlin or Alice, her maid. <laughs> and, and, and not masked. Not masked. Also. Yeah. Which is funny because they are clearly a little bit like scarier, right? Like she she meets that group yes. of dudes who are very much like, hey, let's do this. And you'd be, even though they're not masked, and should therefore be less scary they're not you know they're terrifying, they're terrifying. yeah uh, and it's like oh, yeah this is what fairies are like this is what i expect fairies to be like you know in stories like this they're basically vampires without the blood sucking right like they're, <laughs> they prey on right. their hunters um and then she's saved by uh the character that comes back reese so he you know he and and i love it she's like he's the most beautiful man i've ever seen i'm like oh okay girl tell us how you really feel <laughs> like she's just like out she's out to get it that night like she (laughs) she's just ready and then she has to go home and be like oh okay whatever because lucian comes in he's like what the fuck are you doing out here he's like i'm taking you home (laughs) stupid human human. how dare you get back to your room So like she has that whole thing and then and then she has the the kind of moment with Tam in the hallway where he bites her and then she comes to dinner or to breakfast 
I don't know what it is, brunch the next day <laughs> and has like this kind of bruise on her neck. And Tam or, and Lucian's like, what the fuck is that? And she's like, mm, he bit me. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the moment where she decides like, all right, I'm just going to I'm going to be whatever's happening here. I'm going to participate. Because until that moment, she had been kind of like, I'm going to try to figure out what's happening or I'm going to wander around the house by myself or I'm going to plot how I'm going to leave. But like at that moment, after she kind of really realizes to herself, no, I kind of want to have sex with Tamlin. She's like, all right, I'm just going to let's just do this. Let's figure out how it's going to make that happen. (laughs) Well, I think she's also like starting to let go of the promise she's made to her mother. Right. And it's like she's giving herself permission to um, not just, like, actively participate, but to, like, actually be present in Prithian and, like, allow herself to enjoy mm-hmm. Prithian, you know, as much as, you know, she can at this point in time. Right. You know, like, she's worried about, you know, the good food and, like, having nice clothes. Like, because this is the first time she wears a dress, too, isn't yeah. it? Or is that? Yeah, because she comes down and she's like, oh, look at me. I'm pretty in a dress, like, for the first time. You know, and it's like the the moment where she sort of allows herself to transition into this this moment that she hasn't let herself do before. Right, and that's kind of like the also like that interlude of like the romance and when her and Tam kind of fall for each other, and then everything goes to shit, and then she ends up having to go back but south of the wall, and then you know she realizes, well, this is bullshit. This is a bad plan. It's like great, <laughs> stop listening to other people. Never listen to other people. And then she goes back and gets her ass kidnapped and thrown under the mountain. Um, and I do want to get to under the mountain before we run out of time. So, uh, Elena, what would you go party there? I don't know. I think I would. <laughs> party under the mountain? Uh, party under the mountain. I don't know. The parties sound pretty fucking lame if the best entertainment is, hey, we're going to watch this uh, this one guy like get his uh, rival's Beyonce like tripped on mushrooms and danced for him in this like absurdly PG thirteen way. Like she might be half naked, but it is clearly so absurdly PG thirteen. I'm so glad you said but, that. But clearly he's not touching her. No, right? Like she's like she's totally out of it well, during but, but, all of this. But, like, the, but so, the paint is again, never smeared. Like, like so she knows. Like yeah, she but, can read. She can read the clues in the paint. They're fucking fairies, man. <laughs> They're fucking fairies. They lie like, all the and, time. and we we and we see later he fixes the paint, doesn't he? Yeah, like he maybe not. Maybe he's just he when he when he when he she has the moment with Tam and Rizan has to come in and like smear the paint, like maybe whatever. But still, like you know, how reliable is she in this moment? She's drugged up to the gills on fairy wine, you know, partying in this sheer dress, right? Like do we, know? Remind- Do we know what he's doing? That, 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 that kind of reminded me a little bit of the movie Sleeping Beauty with, uh, uh, what's her name, Violet Brown? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We yeah, actually saw I that saw. together, but it's basically <laughs> like the whole, um, yeah, I'm just going to like rent my drugged body out to men to like, they promise they're not going to have sex with it, but there's no like cameras in the room. So, you know, nobody actually knows that they're, you know, just sleeping next to me like a doll or not. Like... <laughs> I had totally forgotten about that movie. That's that's a really brilliant comparison. <laughs> well, you know, she also is having to to so Amor so the the queen under the mountain who ends up being the big baddie who's it's kind of genius how she's not there for most of the story and yet she's like the big specter, right? But, but like, she's omnipresent she's, at the same right. time. 
Right. And and she also like, you know, in the in the in the future books is a, still a presence for for Feyre because of what she went through under the mountain. She thinks about it a lot. And so like we have this queen Amarantha and she's kind of like I don't know. I mean, it's very like you know the latest R movie or like somebody that would be in like Blood Rain or something right like she's just like into violence and sex and enslavement and she's just got this like cool like metal party under the mountain where she makes people watch her torture people and then like she's like oh hey this is my fuck boy he's actually the king of darkness and like you know and then she's like hey fuck boy murder these people and he does it and then she's like hey fuck boy if you want to fuck that girl over there and have me watch in front of everyone that's also cool and so he's kind of messing with amarantha he's messing with tamlin so like there's all that bullshit that's happening and then there's also the tasks that amarantha gives gives her gives Feyre to complete right well can can we back up just a second and just talk about claire better for a second i mean like that's like that's what we walk into under the mountain, right? Yeah. Is Claire Better's body like nailed up onto the wall after having obviously been like cooked and tortured and like I mean, that moment you're just like, Oh shit, like I know where this is going yep. and it's not good. Like there is nothing good. Like Frera is not gonna be able to just like walk out of this. I mean, I um, think you know from the beginning when Reese shows up that's like, okay, something's gonna happen with this guy, and then he shows up again before uh, and it's kind of like the incident that makes Tam send her back to the human realm where he shows up in the house and they try to hide her with a fairy glamour and it fails because he's a fucking, you know, high lord too. And he's like, how dare you? I'm the king of the night, you know? And <laughs> and then he kind of like mind rapes her and fucks with her in front of these two guys and then makes them grovel. And it's so kind of like emasculating and kind of weird and sad, but it's also like indicative of everything that, that Tam has been going through for 50 years because he's clearly not fighting the people that have cursed him he's just kind of like enduring so Mm -hmm. it's like a really nice like micro like show of what's been going on in terms of the politics and how tam's been been having to deal and and then he's like mind raping this girl and you're like oh shit this isn't gonna go good and then she and then she like leaves and comes back and then like oh hey by the way here's that asshole that came and fucked with you and everyone you know and P.S. he you gave him this name and now look she's dead on the wall like that you know that that's gonna be the guy she has to ally with in order to get out right like yeah yeah I mean Rizand is too much of a um oh I, I guess a presence yeah. just through the earlier story. Um, and again, like, you know, like, it, it's always the one that you hate, right? Yeah. Like, because you hate this guy. Like, he's, he's, you know, from everything we've, we've learned about him, there's nothing about him to admire or respect or any of that. And he's already, as you said, sort of had his way with Frera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she walks into that throne room with, with the Adder. Can we talk about oh, the Adder yes. for a second? Because the Adder is so terrifying, right? Like, the first, like, the thing that snatches her under the mountain is the Adder, which is so far like the height of you know sort of the monsters um that we we've met in this world and she walks into this throne room and there's claire better's body um and obviously claire may not have been a good friend from her childhood it doesn't seem like she really had friends but at the same time it was was someone she knew yeah she was innocent it was someone from her past you know and she gave this name up thinking that nothing would happen to her and yet 
here it is. Bullshit. <laughs> she know? knew. On some level, she knew. That's why she didn't give her own name. She, that's why she didn't give her real name. She knew the names yeah. have well, power. She, she knew yeah. that, like, no, that's that true. made her family vulnerable, even if she was, you know, protected by Tamlin. Um, like, she, there was a reason she didn't give her own name. And so, like, she's right to feel guilt that she couldn't. And, and I don't blame her for, like, I would have spouted a name of someone I knew. Like, that's easier to come up with than, you know, name on the spot. Otherwise, you come up with a Cherith a cute story. Bodie face. Your name's Cherith cute story? You know? Like, <laughs> like that's a, like, I get it. I get why she was, like, uh, first person I could think of, you know? And, like, blurted that name out. Right. Like, I get it. But, no, I think you're right. But I think that's also time. just another way that Feyre makes choices. Like, mm-hmm. she does at the beginning. She's like, I know that this is probably wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. And I know mm-hmm. this is probably wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's self-preservation and yeah. that's more important to her. And she always feels guilty later on, but it's always later on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I, but see, to me, like, that makes her a, a relatable character. I don't, because we yeah. all have that kind of self-preservation instinct. And, like, the fact that she feels the guilt about it later is what make, is what redeems her and, like, makes her, like, an acceptable, like, character and kind of, you know, not a completely horrible, selfish person. Is that in the moment she might be, like, driven by her instinct to self-preserve. But she recognizes, at least in retrospect, that, like, yeah that might have saved me but at the cost of someone else and so in a way right and she's partnered her up with this character that we don't like who continues to kind of do shitty stuff that we don't like Mm -hmm. and and yet she makes him really vulnerable like not only is his job there to be a fuck boy right like that's weird but he's also just kind of like (laughs) coming in to check on her and like you know there's like it's like oh okay and then he's the only one who bets on her yeah. on that first task. Because he'd like, seen inside her mind. He knew she too. was a full metal bitch. He was like, uh, <laughs> nobody else knows who this is, <laughs> but I do. Yeah. Well, but but I, think I mean, that's kind of masterful for, for Moss to do because what you really want her to do is just kind of start dicking around with Lucian, right? And like having that be you know her her ally on the inside but turns out he's fucking useless so mm-hmm. who who's she gonna talk to oh right this guy over here prince of darkness yeah well but i mean i think well you know that's again well i was gonna say just in terms of like the the intercourt like politics and dynamics like you you understand what tam like kind of why tamlin makes the choices he makes that he feels like is maybe better to endure from the outside until like all hope is lost Mm -hmm. rather than to fight you know in any kind of moment to moment sense that he's like i'm sacrificing this like the small fight in order to maybe win the war and so with um uh, in my head i was saying rysand but like resand i guess if y'all looked at the pronunciation guides um he uh like you get a glimpse by the end of the kind of intricate game he's played and the fact that just like tamlin he gives a shit about his court like whether they're horrible yeah. to everyone else doesn't matter to him like that that's his court and they matter to him and he's basically been he's been trapped in a situation the same as all the rest of them have and he's just trying to like play the the hand that he was dealt the best he can and so he sees with her an opportunity um to you know like he says he's fucking with Tamlin I actually think it's much more like he uses 
fucking with Tamlin is a cover to like undermine Amarantha. And that's his end game is he wants to fucking be free mm-hmm. and he wants to be able to be the king of the night court again and to overthrow that bitch. And so like when you understand that he's playing a very long game and that in fact he's supporting her and like he wants Tamlin to win, you know, like it, yeah. it really like changes the flavor of of his behavior. I mean, it doesn't make it less shitty on the surface, but it's kind of like it's kind of like Snape. Like it's I have to yeah. be this shitty so that nobody will ever question what my actual intention and goal here is. Mm-hmm. And I think also Tamlin's trying not to become Reese, mm-hmm. right? Like he doesn't want to get I mean, that's the whole thing is like Amaranth is like, hey, I like you. Don't you like me? And he's like, no, I don't fucking like you. <laughs> like you to die actually and if he fought her if he if he fought her earlier on then he could have ended up in the same uh, Mm -hmm. position as reese right like right he but he you know he he got to go to his court and he got to work on the curse you know he didn't have to deal with all being trapped under the mountain Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that that's also a good a good uh support for tam to not have not have done like the whole like you know macho male kind of fight thing silence because how do you be i mean the whole thing um with rizan too like he does he just does such a good job of making you dislike him yeah. i mean i i liked rizan but then i always love the villain right um, oh please and elena the whole time i'm like uh hello i've team team reese <laughs> right right and I, elena i think that's it's a really good comparison with snape because he's totally the snape of this book um <laughs> But, like, that moment where he twists her broken arm yeah. after the the uh, trial with the worm, oh, my God, that just, like, just, uh, like, so I read the book the first time, uh, I you know, I just read, I had a, a Kindle version, and the, my reread I did as an audiobook, mm-hmm. and, like, that moment in the audiobook was, like, so hard to get through, like... <laughs> it's like watching the the horror movie on tv and not being able to like turn away from it right so that moment was just like super intense for me mm-hmm. um elena how do you think about like what how did what did you think about like kind of the end game right the fact that kind of ultimately pharaoh sort of fails mm-hmm. at the tasks um because she well i mean she doesn't fail but she dies right spoiler um, um she's our heroine that's fucked up well, okay, so two thoughts on this. Uh, first, with the her failing at this, the only the only task she actually fails is the second one. <coughs> but um, and but the fact like is very traditional like fairy tale and mythology as well lore that the um that the kind of pure of heart heroine or not not even necessarily pure of heart but just the one that who actually knows to obey the rules that you're always you always stop and help the little animal on the side of the road you always show kindness you know you always show like these virtues or whatever um like that character can then call in favors later and so with the you know like some of the kind of bullshit tasks that the guards are giving her like oh you have to clean the the floor and like the water they give her is enchanted so that it only makes it more messy well lucian's mother comes in and says for giving um her your name instead of letting my son lose an eye here here's water that'll Mm -hmm. clean this up and you know with the lentil task i mean obviously it's you know resan's room and so he has an ulterior motive but at the same time you know he even there might have been enough there even aside from their bargain that maybe he would have like helped her for his own sort of 
purposes, like wanting to see Tamlin, you know, succeed and Amarantha overthrown kind of thing. Um, so she gets like she gets help uh, because she makes allies or she does, um, you know, she follows the rules um, in terms of how the heroine is supposed to go about the quest. And she's not an asshole and she's not, you know, alienating people and she's not, um, I don't know, like, vi- she's not violating the rules. And so she's entitled to help. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that, like, you know, Rhysand chooses to help her in the second task is, like, total, like, yeah, everybody here wants this bitch gone. Like, she tricked all yeah. of us. She's enslaved all of us. Like, and, th- and that's why in the end, like, you understand why she, like, I actually... I mean, I, th- I think in, I think one of our enduring themes on this podcast, Rachel, is whether you and I are ends justify the means people or not, because it's like, like the libertarian side of me is like, no, the ends never justify the means like individual rights all the way. Like the fact that she chose to kill those sacrifices was fucking wrong and horrible. But then when you're thinking mm-hmm. about the fact like the end game is not like I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of like her and Tamlin. It was this is the fucking state like this is every one of the seven courts is at stake here. She has the High Lord's power locked up, but if you can stop her, then they get that back. And, you know, they're not her. They're not hateful. They held the treaty for 500 years. It's this other island that, you know, this other part of fairy that she comes from that is wanting to transgress on the treaty and, like, be aggressive and re-enslave humanity. You know, like, you want the seven courts to win because these are the fucking good guys. These are the ones that were reasonable in the first place. Um... <laughs> and so um anyway like the the fact that um she dies at the end was just more like kind of fuel on the fire of amarantha being a cheater and you know you can't trust anything fairies say there's always they're going to find a loophole if there's a loophole etc the part that bothered me is that after she fucking dies and they resurrect her she still has the tattoo and the obligation to resand. I'm sorry. If it's for the rest of your life, <laughs> you died. That's fucking like no. That's explained. That does get addressed. Just so you know. Good. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I don't. It's explained. I'll just tell you that. Okay. <laughs> because it is bullshit. Your read on the situation is correct. Well, again, it's that that very trickery to yeah. which, you know, um, Again, it'll when you get to the second book, you you get into that. But um, I again, like you, you're never free, right? Yeah. Like she's she's just yeah, she can't get away from it. And uh, um, I really that final task before she dies is so brutal. You know, it's just so brutal. Like there's nothing. Like I thought that was sort of um, it was. Uh, a brilliant moment because you have these first two tasks, like, as you say, Elena, like these are all very like traditional fairy tale mm-hmm. tasks and you know how she gets help and dealing with them also very traditional. Like it's all part of the game, but that final task is like, it's so it's just brutal. And it's like such a, it's on such a like physical mundane level too. Like it's almost like the, the fairy is stripped out of it in a lot of way. Like it's a very human mm-hmm. task, right? She has to kill these three people um, and of course she's, it gets spoilers, you know, she's gonna have to kill Tamlin and it's, you know, that final like moment of realizing that there's very trickery going on and that like, if she does this, she's not actually going to kill him. Um, the heart of stone thing too, by the way, like, I, I really love that. questions about that actually. So th- is the heart of stone, and I've now read this book twice, is that from the curse or is that just part of him? 
that's I think just part of Tamlin mythology. Okay. The the heart of stone, like if you go back into fairy tale folklore, like the heart of stone is just a, a thing. And and when you get into the Tamlin story, um, and so um, again, like you know, she mentions it in the early part of the. It's Lucian, mm-hmm. right, who says something about his heart of stone. And, but, like, you forget about it, yeah. right? And, and up until the very moment that she remembers it, you're like, oh, yeah, like, there was that thing, right? And, again, you know, she has that realization that Amarantha is not going to make her kill something that Amarantha wants so hard, mm-hmm. right? Like, all of this is about getting Tamlin for, well, not all of it, but a lot of it is for Amarantha like, getting Tamlin. And so you have this horrible situation where Freyra is, you know, she's killing these people, but she's also kind of killing herself in a lot of ways. Like, she's already, like, she's already pretty kind of, like, half dead from all of these, you know, situations under the mountain. Like, she really hasn't come out of this hole at this point. And so she's killing, you know, so she kills the the boy, which is heartbreaking, right? Mm -hmm. But then the woman is almost worse because the woman essentially gives her permission to do it. Like the woman and and going back to the sort of, you know, do do the ends justify the means? Like that's the moment where the woman's essentially like, kill me because I understand Mm -hmm. what has to happen Mm -hmm. here. You know, and she she sacrifices herself. It's that personal sacrifice. Um, And then, of course, the third one is tamlin and the tamlin on the throne is the adder oh my yeah. gosh because she had just oh, been like she had just looked at him and was like i love you and like had like confessed <laughs> everything to this to the, what she thought was tam and it's like oh you said that to the adder oh, it's the adder <laughs> <laughs> and so you know so then you know um amarantha of course does her her like screaming freak out rage you know whatever and and kills her and, and right before she dies, she, she's able to answer the riddle, right? And then, um, of course, that that does it. But um, that final task, and of course, you know, we'll see this in the, the next two books, too, you know, sort of the, the repercussions or the consequences of this moment. You know, it's so um, serious. It's so life-ending. You know, not so much the physical death, but the, the sort of mental, emotional death that Freyra has to, like, go through to do this. Um, and for me, like, it, like I already love this book, but, like, at that moment, that's where it was, like, this This is a book that's going to stay with me for a really long time because, like, it just hit an emotional level for me that, like, other books just haven't come close to in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I, um, I have <clears throat> two different directions that I want to talk about uh, with this. Um, okay, so f- just on the brass tacks of the Heart of Stone stuff, I actually thought it was implied that all of the high lords had had their hearts turned to stone, that that was like part of the enchantment um, on them all. Um, And certainly there's um, like, I mean, I don't know if it's in the story of Tam Lin, but, but some of the, one of the traditional fairy elements uh, we've read this with the snow queen, Rachel is the kind of idea of like replacing your heart with, you know, like some other object or like freezing it or like in right. some way, like turning it um, kind of uh, well, that's like Russian. hard. That's the obdurate, you know, that's the, the, <laughs> yeah, the kash- kashi or however, the, yeah. The koshi, yeah. However you say it, where he literally hides his heart mm-hmm. and he takes his heart out and he hides it because he doesn't want it to be hurt anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely like um, a, a, lo- a lot of, different traditions that use that idea i don't know just something that it was i think resand was the one who said it um 
<laughs> I thought implied that that it had happened to all of the High Lords, um, that it wasn't just Tam, but it was all of them. Um, but, but maybe I just had misread it. I don't know. Um, but the, what I was going to say is, like, in, in terms of emotional climax, I don't know if either of you two have seen the movie The Black Death. Um, but it's got, like, uh, Eddie Redmayne right before he became famous. And it's got Melisandre and Sean Bean. And it's... Um, I'm going to spoil the movie, so sorry, guys, uh, if you haven't seen it. But um, the uh, the kind of thrust of the movie is this young young man who's struggling with whether he actually wants to take orders to become a priest because he loves this girl and he doesn't know whether he wants to marry her or be a priest. He's kind of caught between, you know, two callings of his heart. Um, she gets uh, uh, basically, like, waylaid by highwaymen and left for dead and taken to this obscure village and the um he you know he goes there looking for her and the there's a woman there who claims to be like a you know priestess of the goddess and like very anti-christian and you know says oh she died but i can resurrect her for you um you know but basically the price is your soul and so then like she performs this rite and like resurrects his like love and it's basically like she's yours if you want her and he kills her because he's truly christian and like can't like to him like this is the work of the devil and like that's not his fiance that is a demon um, you know, so then you learn that, like, in fact, she had just had been hurt, had never died, and, like, he killed her. And it's awful, and it's, like, horrible, but it was, like, that, that kind of, like, moment, that kind of trickery, because when you're watching that movie, you were so fucking proud of him for holding to his faith and, like, killing her, because, like, you're so bought into, like, his point of view and the belief that that's, that she was dead, that she had died, that, and that's, therefore, a demon, that is not her. Like you act, are like rooting for him to, to do that. And so it was kind of like, I don't know, for me, it was, it was the same kind of emotional like climax where even though it's this horrible thing, you're like, oh my God, like, you know, in almost every book I've ever read, the person like kind of loses their nerve and fails. And like, you know, it, when she actually goes through and does it, it's amazing. Like you, it's horrible. So you're not trying to tell me that Feyre is a demon because that's where I thought you were going. No, like I, I was actually trying to say that, like in it, like it reminded me of that moment in that film, which like you, you're actually like rooting for him to do that because the way the film presents it, like it's, um, you're so invested in this idea that, like she had died, mm-hmm. and it's like this is this demon, and you're like, oh my god, don't fall for it, like it's just a shell, it's just, you know, like it's trickery, like magic is real, do it, kill her, that's not your girlfriend, kill her. <laughs> so like, and then you like, stab Tamlin, just stab him, just stab him a hundred times. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is this is actually more in the like when she's like debating kill the boy or not kill okay. the boy because like once she makes once she takes the first one like you know she's gonna take the rest like but it's that moment where she's like am I gonna kill him or kill me you know mm-hmm. and I, I feel like um, I actually feel like Mass could have uh, if she had if it had been like you have to kill this person and then like the one had been Tamlin she would have like plunged that knife into her own heart and like that would have been it but it's that the fact that there were three allowed it to build up. You know, and once she kind of made that choice to uh, to to go with the first one. Well, again, it goes back to that very first, you know, killing the wolf. You know, as yeah. you said, Elena, like, you know, she's in the woods and it's a wolf. And like, that's totally what we, you, you would do. And there's that sort of, well, it could be a fairy, but I got to kill this wolf. Right. But here she mm-hmm. is now killing people and knowing that she's killing people. 
you know, so it sort of like completes that that cycle of what she's had to like come to terms with and like the decisions mm-hmm. she's making because now like she can't say, mm-hmm. oh, it's a wolf, you know, and I'm protecting myself. I mean, she can still say she's protecting herself. She totally yeah. is. But at the same time, like now she knows. And I thought that was a really powerful juxtaposition. So, you know, then everyone, she dies, and then all the High Lords come together and decide that she gets, that for what she's done for them all, she she deserves a second chance at life, so they bring her back. Well, and can we just say, too, like, she, so she's brought back, and, like, she's traumatized. Like, this is trauma, right? Like, hardcore trauma. And she and Tamman go go and have sex and, like, don't talk about it. Like, he's traumatized, too. Like, he's certainly, like, got his own trauma, right? right? But it's, like, they kind of put themselves back together, and, like, they go, and they fuck. And then <laughs> that's kind of it. Like, she talks more. Like, I feel like we see her talk more to Rizand, like, at the end, you know, when, when she, like, gets called out to that balcony. Um, then we see her talk to Tamlin, which I think is interesting. Oh, it's like mind fucking. It's serious mind fucking because it's like you're not talking to your boyfriend about how you feel, but you're talking to this guy. Like, yeah, the guy that like, I mean, we we know he's not the bad guy that you know we thought he was, despite whatever. all the bullshit that he did. Like that, right? But at the same time, like you're gonna have a more honest conversation with this dude over here, you know, than Tam. See, I. I did. I didn't necessarily have a problem with the with the way it happened because it, it seemed like it was such an expression of like just we're still alive and we're going to have this like bonding moment where like we are reveling in the fact that we're still alive and we're free to be together and we now have like literally forever to talk about all of this. This is what's important is to like feel like feel like on a very visceral level how much we love each other. Um, I, I will say that this stood out to me more on the reread than it did the mm. first time around. Like the first time I, I think I would have totally agreed with you. But then on the second reread, I was like, huh, that's a little weird. Okay. Well, let me say this on the second reread. You've also y'all have, y'all have by this point read the sequels. So, you know, whether they ever have a conversation about all of this right. or like either explicitly or implicitly because to me like it's like well you know that's what you talk about like once you're back home and you've had a chance to kind of like dissect it and reflect on it all and like you know then you talk it through together but like if they go back home and never talk about it again okay yeah that makes it weird that she then has the conversation with you know reese about it so spoilers spoilers (laughs) (laughs) i don't i (laughs) Uh, so, <laughs> so, I mean, some shit does go down. The sequels are interesting. The sequels do absolutely deal with the trauma. Like, it's not one of those books where the char- where the author is like, I'm going to torture my characters and then they're just going to be fine. Like, right. mm-hmm. she tortures them and then they are fucked up. Like, they have to deal with it. And it's not like, oh, I have to deal with it and I have to accept that I did it and now I love myself. And like, no, it's like, no, this is every day. It's real. And that's how trauma works. And that's how, you know, abuse and, and neglect and anger and, you know, bitterness work. And she's 
she deals with that in such a great way because it's not just internal. It's not just her being like, oh, I feel bad about myself and I can't talk about it. I mean, she's shitty to other mm-hmm. people, right? And <laughs> other people are shitty to other people because they're dealing with their own crap too. So I really, that's that's one of the great things that I love about these books is that it's, it's high fantasy, it's fairies, it's super hot dudes that you get to fuck. That's great. But it's also like, oh yeah, trauma is real and like emotions are real and let's try to deal with this in like a way that a modern audience can appreciate. Well, and, you know, Moss does not try to, like, make this pretty. You know, she doesn't clean it up. She doesn't ignore the elephant in the room. You know, it, it, this is really real. And I, I think one of the, the great parts about how she ends this book is how, you know, Tam and Rara sort of, I, like, I, I guess they don't quite ride off into the sunset, but they do, right? They essentially yeah. ride off to the, mm-hmm. the spring court. And that's where she ends it, you know? Um, And so when the second book picks up, the second book picks up, like, not all that long after Under the Mountain. It's, what, like, three months, maybe, after everything that's Mm -hmm. happened? Yeah. Um, So you've had that, that, like, it's a short enough amount of time that, like, this is still really fresh and raw and, like, we still have to immediately deal with it. Um, And I thought, like, I think, too, just, you know, sort of as an end to this book and then a transition into the other that that was a really good stopping point. Um, you know, um, she probably could have, like, this probably, like, all three books, like, this was a pretty long book. I think all three books were fair, were pretty long. Like, it took me a while to get through this book. Um, and again, like, I read <laughs> just so much. Like, it, it really does take take mm. me, like, to say this took me a minute to read, like, that's saying something. I love that. But um, she probably could have But I'm going to say this, not Snow Queen long. And I haven't read the Snow Queen, but I'm familiar with it. But, um, you know, she probably could have made like instead of having a trilogy, this could have probably been just one big volume. So I really like that she ends this book here. Um, and then we have a minute before we transition to the second one. Um, so, again, like just I thought that was a really smart move for her as author. Mm hmm. I yeah. I really enjoy like to tie it back to the Snow Queen because that was our last episode. It is that you know like at the end of that book we have these two characters that have been through a lot of shit, right? And they and they mm-hmm. have been through their own separate shit, but they like still choose each other at the end, right? And you know that that's like okay, yeah, this is the end of the story, but they also have that kind of glimmer in their eye that's like we're gonna have to deal with some shit, you know? Like this isn't gonna be easy. <laughs> this isn't gonna just be like oh, we're going to go off into the sunset and live happily ever after, like, without us really working on it. And I and I feel that kind of happening with the end of this novel. Because it's mm-hmm. like her her and Tam have been through, them cra- been through crap and they haven't really talked about it. And they're going to have to. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or um. at least they, they can stand there while Lucian makes them each talk. <laughs> <laughs> runs from one to the other and he's like so you feel this way yes well <laughs> and emissary also, between the two of you <laughs> you know it's funny too because i i can't remember i know we've gotten some of lucian's backstory at this point i can't remember how much but we know that his father is really terrible right like mm-hmm. his father's like this horrible high lord um so i thought it was really interesting that it's lucian's father who's the first one to step forward to offer to save Frere's life. Yeah, I didn't notice that until the second read too, and I'm just like, oh shit. 
right like <laughs> yeah i didn't the... i didn't notice that at all actually <laughs> yeah like like you'll get there's more of this in the second book where i think we get more of lucian's backstory and we we meet um it's it's baron right is his name mm-hmm. yeah. um we we meet him more and we meet some of the other high lords as well so you have more of a like a comparison i guess but yeah the fact that it's baron who steps forward and is like I, I wonder if his wife mind. was just behind him and just pushed him really <laughs> like, hard. Pushed him. Well, we do. We find <laughs> out. We do find out what happens, uh, what happened there. But I don't think we find out until either, third like, book. near the end the of the second, book. Or the third book. Yeah, I yeah. think it might even be the third book where you're like, aha, that explains that. But um, I definitely did not catch that on my first reading. Uh, of this yeah, novel, no, I, so. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that at all. Like, I yeah. didn't. Um, it's like oh yeah hi lords i don't know they're guy they got glowy shit let's what's happening uh, right geez. right well we're so traumatized at that point you know fair is dead right and we're like oh my god fair well, is dead. i'm not even happening well then i'm not even sure that like she differentiates them all that well like you know in in the text like because the only ones that we've actually um seen that we know are high lords would be the summer lord and reese and like that's it i don't think mm-hmm. that there's that even like visually any of the others have been identified so um no but she does i can't remember if it's his title or if it's by name but she says the lord uh you know the high lord of um was that fall autumn yeah Yeah, the high lord of autumn Autumn is the autumn court is the one that says for it and like for me i think what connected Hmm. was just because i was like oh that's lucian's father and he's really horrible. Mm-hmm. Like that was the only impression <laughs> I had at that point. Like I didn't really have any other. Like you're right. I mean, like we kind don't of all really horrible. It seems to be like you know a prerequisite for being high lord is to be a huge asshole. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, one of, one of the big ones, except that you know obviously with a uh, in the case of Tamlin, like the power chose him. It wasn't a case of him being the strongest. It was that the power like settled in him, and he didn't have a choice about it. But like there were the four courts that rebelled. It was you know what it, it was summer and day and dawn so like you assume that i mean she kind of talks about there maybe like untested high lords but that those courts overall are not going to be as like cutthroat and ruthless right. and um sympathetic to the uh high high burn or whatever uh that other land is cause mm-hmm. yeah no so. they're gonna be like yeah we hate this girl she sucks we're gonna get rid of amarantha i mean it's a ridiculous like if you start looking at everything from amarantha's point of view it's just like what what are you doing like you make everybody (laughs) hate you and everybody's super powerful and you're just gonna just expect that you're just gonna keep their lid on their power forever and they won't just kill you outright (laughs) like except she's done it right like that's the thing like she's gotten away with it and i think amarantha you know we didn't really get into this but i think amarantha is really interesting because her backstory is pretty tragic too, and like you hear it, and you're like, "Yeah, oh, yeah they I just throw it out there." It's like her her sister was murdered. There was a guy who was human. She carries this finger bone yeah. around, like, and this is her revenge. And like, <laughs> you know, like this book instead of being about Frera, could have been about Amarantha, right? Yeah. You know, and it's like again, like who are you cheering for? Like, I'm sure someone out there is cheering for Amarantha, like you know, because she's well, not like she's evil, but we hate her yeah, but she's but she's 
she's she's like deciding to she's she's deciding to be a bigot she's not out for revenge if it was simply that like jurian like store stole my necklace of immortality and i'm gonna track him down and kill that motherfucker like yeah you're rooting for amarantha in that story but she's like yeah i tortured the shit out of jurian he's still alive <laughs> this is i in my ring he sees what's happening you know like she has punished him she has punished him. Like, he's been punished. She And she's like, no, like, all humans, all humans always have all to die because this one dude who hey, I've punished, I punished, hold, like... I hold a grudge, too. So, like, I get Amarantha, like, totally get her. I just like that one detail when, um, so when Farah and Tam are in the closet and they're doing that, they're trying to do a quickie and... And then they get interrupted by Reese. And then, like, afterwards, when Reese is like, oh, shit, I got to cover this up. I guess I'll just kiss you. Oh, I'm sorry, Reese. I'm sure you weren't planning that. But then he's, like, trying to make out with her. And then Amarantha walks in. And there's that detail of her, like, holding her hand up so that her ring can see, too. And I'm just like, you bitch. <laughs> like, everything she does, she's just got her hand up in front of her. Just like, oh, look at that. That's cool. See, Jurian, this is why you're here. This is why you're with me. Because this is what you people are like. Freak my shit out if I saw even like four people as dressed as characters from this from these stories. I would probably (laughs) high pitched, supersonic screaming, like just running to them, just like I have to know you. We'll be on the lookout for creepy fing- for creepy eyeball finger rings yes. of Dragon Con. Yes. So many good <coughs> evil queens in these books that we've been reading. Dude, I know. Well, and I feel like we, we've talked for how long now? And I feel like there's still so much we haven't gotten into, you know? Like, we've talked about this so much. Like, yeah, well, and this is like an ongoing thing. Like, me and Rachel always laugh about, like, that we'll get off the phone and immediately like look relook at our notes and be like oh my god there's like 20 things we didn't talk about like it just it's it's the nature of it like a good book you has like so many layers and so many uh, you know um angles that you want to bring up so but i'm just really well, happy I'm- that i have guys you guys have read these books and now i can send you like 2 a.m texts please please <laughs> no like when i saw you post about this on facebook that first time it made me so happy. I think I was reading the second one when I saw that post, and I was just like, yes, someone to talk to about this book. Um, I've been trying to make Elena read this book for six months, and goddamn Elena won't. <laughs> well, goddamn and you Elena know, obviously, Elena, obviously, resource time. <laughs> obviously you, uh, you know, you still need to read the second and third book, but you absolutely um, have to, you have to, you, you have know, to read it right now. I've just finished yeah, like, rereading the second book and I reread the first one before it. And like, there are so many details that I didn't catch the first time around. Like I, I, these are the type of books too, that I think I could be reread over and over and over. And like, I'm going to get something out of it different every time. And for me, that's all always- I feel bad because I read everything on ebook. I'm like, Amazon knows how much I'm reading this. <laughs> <laughs> you know if if, uh you know i I hadn't just moved to new york city and wasn't entirely broke i actually i like eventually this is still a goal i would like to go out and buy paper copies of these books which you know again it's not something i do as often anymore um because e is so much easier and usually it's a little cheaper um and again librarian acquisitions librarian saying that you know um 
print is is just so much more difficult in a lot of ways. But I really do want to get these these books in print and read There's them. There's an illustrated copy of the of them too. Right, the, and I mean, first book, yeah. <laughs> And oh there's yeah, so many... there's a coloring book. Oh, Elena. Yes. There's a coloring yes. book. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, and they're also beautiful. They are. Oh, so, they so, are. I, so we're giving this. So we're giving this the coveted like RTFB like print edition award. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Like this book, and like I said, I I listened to these um on audiobook as well, and I don't know who the narrator of those are. Um, but she did a really wonderful job of bringing characters to life and um, just giving it a lot more depth and emotion than even what I had given it in my head. Um, so I totally recommend the, the audiobooks if you like audiobooks. Um, and I'm actually, I'm not a fan of audiobooks. I prefer reading print, um, reading the text, and, um, but these I really enjoyed. Cool. Cool. Um, I also, so... The fan art of this, I mean, the, the community of this is really active because it's a new book, right? Like, these just came out. Mm-hmm. Sarah Moss is a really, uh, you know, you know, great new author. So everyone's been reading her stuff, which is great because most of the stuff I'm obsessed with, the authors are really old or dead. And, like, the, <laughs> the fans are really old. So now to be able to get on to, like, Tumblr or something and, like, put in my favorite shipping, like, you know, thing and then like see all the all the You know, okay, so that's something to you know, I was saying that this is the first book that's really grabbed me in a long time. This is the first book I've read in a really long time that's made me want to go find fan fiction. (laughs) Like I wanna go see what other people have done with this stuff because I love it so much. And like for me that's always like one of those tells, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I want so much more than you know, just the books. Like I want everything. Yes. I want Snape and Hermione in the broom closet. Yes. Also, the, the great thing about these books is like, okay, she's kept the, the cast real small in this first book. And like we get a glimpse that there are other characters when she goes under the mountain. Uh, but, you know, we get to the second book and suddenly it's kind of like, oh, by the way, here's 10 new awesome characters. And they are awesome. And I really I, I think that's also really smart of her to wait until that second book to do it because it's like, all right, I know my character. I know like mm-hmm. the world. I, I'm not going to be confused by extra names. Like now it's just like, let's populate this badass place that I built with some like super hot people and <laughs> but super hot people that you really immediately fall in love with oh, yeah. like really hard like so hard so hard so, hard. Oh. <laughs> so good oh Elena read now read now read now uh, well don't we have to read one of my books yes first? actually what are you going to assign me for the next episode all right well um, while, while your comments, uh, to me about this being porn were laughable, like, I'm going to be blushing so hard when we finally read one of my porn books, Rachel. I'm just going to throw that out there if you think this is. Um, I think I'm going to stick with, uh, with my plan, which was to make you read Sunshine, uh, okay. by Robin oh, Kinley, oh, uh, after this. Oh, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, uh, so, so I've, that's like the one of her books I've never read. Because it's the one that's, like, completely fucking different. Ironically, ironically, it's the one that isn't, like, a fairy tale retelling or that sort of setting at all. It's, like, so completely different. You know, Um, that's also, like, I'm sorry, I'm totally interjecting myself here, but Sunshine (laughs) is, like, so hard for me to say I have a favorite book 
Um, but Sunshine is absolutely in my like top 10 favorite books. It's amazing. I love it. And Rachel, you have to love it too. Like you have no choice. (laughs) It's like Elena loving this book. Like Elena had to love this book, but you Rachel have to love Sunshine. (laughs) If you don't love Sunshine, we can't be friends. (laughs) But I'm not going to, I'm but when you read it, I'm not going to put that Aegis on you, but, (laughs) but when you read it, like have cinnamon rolls on hand, like that's my recommendation or muffins or muffins, like make sure there's baked goods nearby. Cause otherwise you're like doomed. Oh Oh, no. All right. Feelings. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, that's your reading assignment. And, uh, unless there's anything else to say, do we want to wrap this up? Yes, uh, I just I would just like to say that you have to read this, the other books right now. Yeah, no, like I'm totally <laughs> on board to, uh, to to read the sequels so we can do another um, supplement like we did with the ancillary justice sequels where we just basically get super drunk and squeal at each yes. other. And that's like awesome. Those are, <laughs> drunk cast is the best cast. Yes, Lauren, you're invited. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I, if I weren't, I would be so upset right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, so we'll, which is great because um, I, I I sold this book to Elena. I was like, look, this first book, it's okay. It might make you mad because there's some things that made me mad that we haven't discussed because they're kind of spoilery. Uh, but and then I, when you read the second book, it's gonna be great. And then Elena gets on this recording like, uh, I don't understand. I like this book. If I if you. <laughs> What, what are you trying to sell me? What's it going to do? Is it going to do a switcheroo? Because that's bullshit. And I'm just like, no. I don't, I don't, you know. Is it going to be a love triangle? I hate love triangles. It's not a love triangle. <laughs> you know, but I did. I liked this first book, even with the problems. I definitely, I like the second book probably a lot more. But like this first book, not knowing the second book was coming, this first book was just really refreshing and really wonderful and just like, held on to me through the whole thing and really left me with these lasting impressions that again like I just haven't come across a book like this in a super long time sunshine probably one of the last books that did this so um yeah like like I really really love sunshine so um yeah this this book was just really exciting for me um it also showed up in, in a moment in my life where I was having well I'm still having a lot of personal uh family issues and it really uh, got me through a lot of that, you know, um, books for me have always been an outlet, but um, when you have really terrible moments in your life, it's books like this that are just super helpful. Um, so if Sarah J. Moss and ever listens <laughs> and make yeah. life a little better. So if Sarah J. Moss ever listens to this podcast, which I totally hope she does, like you, you are seriously a lifesaver. And this is one of those books that like just, really helped someone in a really horrible moment so i for me like i i will never forget that oh feelings <laughs> good book noise <laughs> all right uh so i will go and read sunshine uh and uh we will also read the next books and we'll do we'll drop a supplementary episode of that uh soon as well uh, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for the great read and discussion, you guys. It's been a while since I've been this kind of obsessed with a book and been successfully able to get other people to read them and also <laughs> love them. Because usually it's like, I'm obsessed with this book. Read it. And they're like, no, I don't like it. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's fine. Or worse. <laughs> Rachel, why did you make me read? <laughs> OK, I still like the Arcana books. You can suck that because those books are great. <laughs> Team death. Anyway, bye. Uh, (laughs) Bye.